Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. All right, let's do this. How are you? What the fuckers? What the fuck buddies? What the fucksters? What the fuckadelics? Robert Smigel is on the show today. Robert Smigel. Comedy genius, Robert Smigel. Everyone knows him as the guy behind Triumph, the insult dog. Uh, But look, man, this guy has been part of the defining force of comedy on television, certainly, and some movies, for 35 years. You know, he was he was a writer at SNL, longtime writer at SNL. He was the head writer, the original head writer of the original Conan O'Brien show. That was a big deal in New York, man. That was when I first really sort of got hip to the fact of Smigel was when he took that show and he hired people I knew. He hired Tom Agna. He hired Louis Dino. And that crew, that original crew of, of Conan writers, I mean, they did some wild shit. This guy could push the envelope. And he's fucking hilarious. And I always had this sort of like, you know, fascination with him. He's the guy behind TV Funhouse. He was a writer on that Dana Carvey show that was so, uh, we've talked about with a few people, that was so crazy. He's in a lot of Adam Sandler's movies. Big champion of Sandler. And now he's got this new show on Fox called Let's Be Real. And it stars a lot of puppets. And if I make the cut, I'll be in the puppet show. Also, get vaccinated. Don't uh, don't let anyone tell you not to get vaccinated. This is not the hill you want to die on of COVID. It's not the hill you want to die on or kill somebody of COVID. Look at India. Look at the possibilities. Look what we went through. If you're not too fucking selfish or malignantly and incorrectly fighting for some weird breach of liberty, then just go get the fucking shot. What kind of dumbass world do we live in? You know, back in the day, you know, it was exciting. Hey, we we stopped a fucking disease from killing us. And we all fucking did it. But now it's sort of like, yeah, I don't know. Some people might deserve to die. I don't know. I don't trust it. I don't know. Seems kind of dicey. Can't tell me what to do. But I can say you're stupid. I mean, what are some of these fucking people basing their patriotism on? It's ridiculous. Grow the fuck up. Anyway, Sammy. Sammy the cat. Sammy the red. Lord Samuel. 
is now at that age where he's about three months, coming up on three months, and he's just fucking destroying everything. And I've forgotten what it's like to have a cat at that age uh, just loose in the house. Whatever can be destroyed will be destroyed. Wires will be bitten through. Curtains will be unhemmed. Things will be scratched. Bodies, my arms, my legs, scratched, destroyed. I have to ride it out. I have to ride it out with this little fucking terror, not take it personally. And even Buster, the old fat man, is, you know, just dealing and playing with him, beating him up a little bit. But I, I think fucking Sammy, Sammy the Younger, is going to fucking own this house. That seems to be where it's going. So I'll probably be on my way to Florida to deal with the uh, the human that birthed me. Just for a few days. I figure once I got through the vaccination tunnel and I'm vaccinated, I'll mask up and I'll go see my mommy. It's been over a year. I don't see my mommy that often. I don't call her mommy that often, but she's my mommy, I guess, my mother. So I'm going to go see my mother. My brother's down there, my cousins, people staying in my house, taking care of things, managing the kitten. You got to get a team, man. You got to get a team on that kitten. Or they're fucking, I'm going to come back and every, my entire house will just be destroyed. It'll be like a cartoon, like a Buster Keaton movie. I'll just return and on this mound of rubble will be a victorious Lord Samuel just sitting there like he didn't do nothing, playing with a feather on top of the of a house that once was. So I've got to bring a team in. got a kitten management team coming in. I'm a little nervous about traveling, but not so much about traveling. I'm kind of excited. I'm just a little anxious and full of dread. I know I'll be wearing a mask down there. Hopefully, I'll get some stuff done. Hopefully, I can read the um, my friend Jerry Stahl's new book, which isn't out yet, but I've got the uh, manuscript. And I got I got to you know, make the time. I don't know where all the time goes, man. But uh, but every day, I don't have enough time to get my shit done. Maybe it's just the pace I do it. I started to realize that too. Maybe that my process just takes longer because I don't feel like I'm doing a lot of stuff. I'm done with the uh, bread experiments. I'm done making dough, and I'm I'm now feeling doughy, and that's how it goes. Got some good episodes coming up. I've been talking to people, people coming back around. That weird moment where they come to the door with masks. They're like, I'm vaxxed. You vaxxed? I'm vaxxed. Me too. Take it off. We're free. We're free. You know why we're free? Because we're vaxxed. We're not free because we fought the vax. Because then you're just like a guy who's got to wonder if he'll ever get it. Or just assume that you're not going to die of it. That's what the confidence of that assumption of so many people who are like, no, I'm not going to get the vax. I'll just take the hit. Yeah, will you? Is it really worth it to push back on medicine that much to where you're willing to die of something just because you think you're healthy. How often do you go to the doctor? How healthy do you think you are? What do you really know about what you're made of? Is that how you want to find out? Not breathing in an ICU, intubated, and fucking watching stars before your eyes as you drown in your own fucking mucus? Is that liberty? How are you? Everybody okay? So Robert Smigel is here. And uh, it was it was an honor and a joy, and uh, uh, it was great to talk to him. So, uh, and again, his new show is called um, Let Let's Be Real. And after the interview, I I was recruited, and I uh, I got roped into doing a bit with the puppets here in the garage. Maybe that'll make the cut. Maybe 
I don't know. But it's puppets, folks. Big, human-sized puppets doing the satire. Before you listen to me and Robert, I think it's important to tell you that um, just before, when he came over for a 2.30 interview, we were waiting to hear the the, the Chauvin uh, verdict. And we sat there and we heard it together on the couch. I don't know Robert that well, but we watched and we wept with relief. And and I don't know what it was. It was a very emotional thing. We were just both trying to keep our shit together on the couch after they read that verdict of guilty, guilty, guilty. And it was a powerful moment. I will always remember where I was when the Chauvin verdict was read on the couch with one of the funniest people in the world trying to control our weeping. That's what happened right before I talked to Robert. But this is me talking to Robert about the whole arc of it. The arc of Smigel is discussed now. Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school, or in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of, like literature, and now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called The Foxed Page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grades or needing to prepare something to say in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Fox Page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Fox Page is for you. Get it now wherever you get your podcast. Podcasts. Are we emotionally together enough to do? Uh, you feel all right? I will. You know, it's it's such a crazy time for me to be doing this on so many levels. That uh, on so many levels, yeah, yeah, because I'm just in the middle of this ridiculous program I'm doing. Yeah, this is not the way I ever pictured doing your show. I pictured it being like <laughs> calm and focused, <laughs> and uh, yeah. But I mean, I mean, how long have you been out here? Just like uh, five days. Oh, yeah. And how is it for you? In general, I mean, I just I'm living like a you know a freaky like a, like I'm 25 again with like two other writers in this house. Oh, and uh, you know, I try to talk to my kids on the phone when I can't. I've got yeah. How many you got now? I have three. You I do? Have, yeah, yeah, yeah. How how? Uh, I have the older boy with autism, and I got two twin boys. Thirteen. I I, I don't think. Oh, really? Yeah. Thirteen. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Has it been They've that long since I went mid speed? Since I, I, they were yes, D- a double bar mitzvah, a double bar mitzvah. Now, but you're a, like you're hardcore. So they, did they do Friday and Saturday? No, really, they didn't. People do that. I did. You did Friday night too. Oh, they just did Saturday, just a Torah and that's it. Knock you it know out. What they did because of the quarantine. Yeah. Uh, this was pre-vaccine. Uh-huh. We. Uh, Nobody was going to come. Oh. You know, my wife, right. Michelle's mom, lives in Arizona, so I had it on a Thursday when the tour is taken out on a Monday and Thursday. Okay. So I had it on a Thursday because- Afternoon? 
Uh, no, in the morning, but like <laughs> Thursday morning. The Talmud specifically says it must happen after Regis and before the view. <laughs> uh, no, it's got to be <laughs> Regis. That's how old I am. He's, no, didn't he die? He is a dead man now. He's yeah, so is Larry. I watched a clip of your show. Everybody's Larry. dropping like flies. Yeah, all these guys were in a hundred. Yeah, it's, it's such a tragedy. Yes. Yeah. No, yeah. so the bar mitzvah was, um, I wanted my mother-in-law to be able to watch it, and it was in an Orthodox synagogue, and Orthodox synagogues right. will not let you use cameras on a Saturday, so right. that so was you, the only way we could zoom it. So it's show business. You made you made some changes to the schedule. Yeah, we so made, you could shoot. Did some last minute things. You know, a bar mitzvah is never really ready. A bar mitzvah happens when <laughs> did Lauren, it goes did you, on when it happens. Did you invite him? I didn't invite anybody. I sent everybody like a an link? email saying, "Here's a link to a Zoom. It's on a Thursday morning." I totally understand if you're not going to watch this. How the kids feel? That seems like a lower pressure gig. I think they liked it. Yeah. I think they liked the lower pressure. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. They could just be really focused on their tour portions, and they kind of felt like the pressure was off. And um, yeah, one of them was like, "Do we even have to zoom this? Just can't it just exist in a void? And it's just between us, you know? You know, we did it. Yeah, exactly. Who's this really important to? <laughs> but no, then we put it on YouTube, and you uh, did, yeah, for our for because oh, I didn't want pre to pressure people to watch it on Thursday morning. It really was, it was lovely. How very very Good. strange. They did good. They kicked ass. Is he, now, is this a regular, your your temple, your rabbi, your no. people? No. Well, here's what it was. It was, we, I live in New Jersey now, and I'm, we're all dispersed. My dad- What part of Jersey? Uh, I live in Bergen County. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I moved there for my older son because there was a better school for him. Oh, really? For autism. For, yeah, yeah, New Jersey at the time was like- the, My people are from Morris County. They're from- uh, Yeah. Yeah, from- uh, Pompton Lakes. Pompton Lakes, yeah, sure. Off, off the Hamburg Turnpike, I, I think. I yeah. love New Jersey. I do, too. I, yeah. I knew nothing about it but we all condescended. I there. We I, all condescended. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. But I, I lived in Manhattan until yeah. I was like 45 or something. Yeah. And then I just had to check out New Jersey, and I knew nothing. Right. And it's like farmland. I, I, right? Yeah. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. <laughs> it's really gorgeous. It's gorgeous, and then there's gross stuff. You know, what driving past Elizabeth, New Jersey is is all. That's where my grandfather's from. We, right. What are you gonna? What are you driving over there for? Past, you know no, where that Budweiser factory I'm is. I'm just going past it on the turnpike, oh. but it always reeks. You know, it's yeah. like that powerful a city. Do you know that that Budweiser Elizabeth Strong? Yes. <laughs> There's a Budweiser factory right there in Linden, right mm -hmm. that you see from the highway. There's like my yeah. grandparents are in this horrible little Jewish cemetery. Oh, wow. Just right, almost like right in the parking lot of the fucking Budweiser place. I know. I have grandparents in a cemetery in Lake Queens and it's like, it's literally like you know, the rat race of right. like, oh my God, you know, I got to negotiate between all these people. I guess they like being a, in a no, crowd. No, I think when they built them, they didn't know that what was going to come up around it. Yeah, that's true too. You yeah, know, like yeah, it was yeah. probably a nice little right. cemetery in New right. Jersey and then the Budweiser plant and then it just becomes right. this industrial area. But you, but it, aren't you, didn't you grow up Orthodox? I didn't. I grew up like conservative. Yeah, me too. Kept a kosher home. Oh, really? We did keep a kosher home, but but the synagogues we would go to were Orthodox because my dad, his father founded what the uh, 
what the non-Jews uh, might never have heard of, a shtibel. Yeah. A shtibel, a small little synagogue in the, uh, on the Upper West Side. Yeah. And so we would go there and I was completely lost because yeah. everybody's like, the women are behind a curtain yeah. and, you know, the men are like over 90, you know, they're all over 90 except for me and my cousin and yeah. they're handing me a prayer book and they're turning the pages with their, like licking the... That was the thing. They lick their finger. Yeah, there yeah. you go. Lick yeah. it. Page <laughs> 34. There you go. <laughs> Enjoy. And then, and there's no he, there's no English in the book. Yeah, yeah. And the rabbi's speech literally was in Yiddish. So then when I was 13, we switched to like a more, you know, my mom was like, we can't. It's got to be with the English and the relatives. What will they say? So we Is went that you? To, I'll turn that on. I'm sorry, man. That's I, right. I, I thought it was ask. me. It's like a million people off? texting me. Like I said, this is we did the it. craziest time. We did it for me to do. Yeah, this. The, yeah. They're texting you about no, not or? about the trial. They're <laughs> oh. texting me about should the should the puppet's asshole be perfectly clean bleached or should it have a little bit of a rash? <laughs> no, I'm poo sorry. on the asshole, no poo. <laughs> little poo, a little bit of poo. This has been, yeah, this is like I'm 25 again. That was the stuff I would do when I was 25 and agonize over every detail. No. So we'll get there. I just sure, want to, let's man. move through the Jew stuff. Yeah, so, yeah, because yeah. like when I, when I first heard of you, because I, I like, I was always very impressed uh, with you. I, I thought I was sort of mildly obsessed when, uh, <laughs> when, with the comedy. Because, you know, back when I was friends with Louie yeah. and you guys were doing the Conan thing, yes, I'd, I'd heard one of the best guests we had. Oh, the, well, you know that's true. I was I was one of the most available guests. No, no, no. There were many available guests who weren't as funny as you. <laughs> well, me and Conan. You Con ran circles around John Tesh. Oh, Mark thank Maron. you, man. Thank you. <laughs> well, I, I think Conan and I developed a rapport after Absolutely. a while. Where he was sort of like, oh, here we go. Already yes. it's yes. bad. Yes. But, um... <laughs> But I just remember, like, certain things stuck out to me. It was like, one of them was like, he was going to be a dentist. Yes. Yeah, and like, I'm like, really? He's like, yes, dad's like a revolutionary dentist. Yeah. I'm like, what does that mean? You know? <laughs> My dad's contribution to dentistry dwarfs my contribution to God. It's not even close. That can't be true. It is true. It's not even close. My so, dad changed the way people think about dentistry really Honestly, he really did because and he's still around right no no oh. no he's not sadly but oh. um but he uh he lived a, a great long life till he was 91 92 actually because i remember seeing him somewhere at something i don't know why but like I, I didn't see you many places no i sometimes i, I don't Conan. see me many places I'm, yeah i'm a recluse but but yeah my dad uh my dad was well he was on television a lot too like in the 70s he was like not only did he help develop this so tooth bonding oh that's everybody knows what that is and it started as a guy invented an acrylic material yeah that looked like a tooth and the whole idea was that it was just going to replace fillings yeah silver fillings right and then my dad developed the idea of like what about chipped teeth yeah you know yeah it started with chipped teeth sense. and then it expanded into just like building out people's smiles without having to right. wear caps and yeah. all that shit. And then that expanded into laminates. And then he, and, and in the 70s, he was like, then he also became the guy who like- The laminate king? No, the laminate king, Erwin. <laughs> I need a laminate. Come to the right place. <laughs> Let me see those toppers. I'm Dr. Smigel. <laughs> My son sticks his hands up a dog's ass, but that's not what we're here for. How you teeth? 
I'm here to tell you about teeth. No, yeah. he 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 went on like that's incredible. Oh. And yeah. places shows like that. Oh, the show 70s. like look at this guy's teeth before and, and look after. after. He would right. do like live yeah. demonstrations and show how quickly it could be done, like on the Mike Douglas show. Really? Yes. Like, so he did guest shots on Mike Douglas. Yes. With comics. Sonny Bono was there. Oh, Sonny. And Daisy Duke. Oh, of course. <laughs> <laughs> and he actually had a really funny one-liner about Daisy Duke that I don't know if he had prepped it, but he got a huge laugh. Yeah. Yeah. What's her name? Catherine Bach. And he said. Uh, she was showing she had a little, uh, you know, it was such a minor flaw uh-huh. in Catherine In her Bach. teeth. Yeah, she yeah. had like an eye tooth that was a little thin. He yeah. said, I could fix it in 20 minutes. And if once I've fixed it, nobody's going to look at anything else but that tooth. It's going to be so beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> so all they're going to notice is your yeah. smile. But, but you were like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to be a dentist. Yeah, I just, look, I loved being funny. It was all I felt like I was really good at. I mean, uh, did you do it in in high school? I mean, not oh, professional. Yeah. Since yeah. I was a kid, like I started, like when I was Doing five. Bits. When I was five, I realized I could draw really well. I could yeah, draw yeah. like Fred Flintstone and then Peanuts, and just having it was a really I was very good at it. And for a five year old, that's like to have a talent at all. Mm was like, wow, I'm just going to do this all day. Yeah, <laughs> Just right. the, the positive reinforcement. Yeah, look how excited people get. Yeah, 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 exactly. I made a Snoopy. Yeah, and I liked being funny, and then it just developed into doing impressions of my classmates and drawing cartoons of my classmates. Yeah. And this was why I was popular, basically, in, in school, uh, just being funny. But I never thought that it was something I could do As a job? But did you ever do... Um... Like, did you ever put together sticks in in high school with another guy? Or... No, I never, because I got all my satisfaction just being an asshole in class. Yeah. I was such a goody two shoes. Yeah. My sister, you know, liked to party and was crazy. Just the two of you? Yeah, it was just the yeah. two of us, and she was not a good student. I yeah. was a great student, hardworking, but I would get in trouble for making fun of other kids. Uh. Like that, I did make a couple of kids cry, and I was like, well, don't they get it? I'm just having fun. <laughs> it's you, funny. So it wasn't bullying? It quite? wasn't bullying. It Didn't was really, it was a person with the inability to process like empathy. Like, yeah, yeah, I just, right. <laughs> I just did not have it. I just thought, but, but it's so funny what I'm saying. Uh-huh. Come on, you can make fun of me. Make yeah, one of my nose or something. Oh, so it was like there was no way you could picture how it could land wrong. It was weird. I just feel like did you have to learn empathy? I I think <laughs> no, I did. I mean, I, I, I think was sort I of self involved. I, I think I absolutely had to learn empathy. I think I always had it on some level because at the same time, yeah, you know that kind of you know the bully nerd dynamic that yeah. sometimes happens when those two become friends. Like there were, I, I, I did have empathy because I used to, I was also the kid who like, there was a circle of people who would throw parties. We'd yeah. all throw parties. And I was the only one who would invite the unpopular kids. Right. It was like the, literally the only one. I didn't care what my other friends thought. I liked these people that I made fun of. Yeah. And I would invite them to my parties. So and you I could often, have a show. You go, no, it wasn't so that I could make fun of them. I genuinely liked them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the thing. I right. wasn't like, right. it wasn't the equivalent of like pushing someone into a locker right. to show who was boss. I just found them funny. I found popular kids you, funny. You didn't have a locker at the house? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had a virtual locker. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. you liked everybody. Funny I really guy, did. Yeah, a funny guy I liked usually. everybody, yeah. And you could move through all the different cr- people. 
yeah. because you were funny. Yes. You know, yeah, yeah. Yes. No, that's usually the way it goes. And and then, but then when you bring people together, there were the two crowds that didn't quite, you know, right, you were the only connective f- tissue. No, yeah, to some degree. Yeah. I mean, other kids liked these kids, but they didn't feel like, oh, I'm not going to invite them because that'll be yeah. uncool. Yeah, and yeah. Shit. And I just didn't care. I was always oh, that's nice. anti hierarchy. I hated that kind of shit. Yeah. Yeah. I just hated people. You know, I was a hippie kid too. I was, you know, I was grew up in the sixties and uh when I was a little kid and like That was always I got the most to appealing to me. Yeah, how much are you old how much older than me are you? I'm fifty seven. What are you? I'm sixty one. Oh uh, not that but, but yeah, it was yeah. just but you did catch the tail end. I of caught it. the tail end and like I got to see like Vietnam protests outside my You remember like it. on the yes and like 1969 moratorium day i got to march with hippies and oh yeah yeah, yeah. you know it was like really exciting were your parents and activists my parents were liberal then and then they kind of tightened up they kind of tightened up <laughs> you know what it was more than israel. money thing israel. it was israel exactly it's always israel it's always israel the liberals they want us to stay they yeah, don't care they just yeah it was i i'm not gonna you know, no no my I parents know. are wonderful people and uh but that's usually always what it is it's israel always israel. Is, it's a complicated thing have you been I, I, I am not oh yeah i've been three times but not since like 1995 it's been years and years. Is it a point? Because my mother's like, you know, like, I got to get back there. Like, I went twice and I'm like, I'm never going back there. Really? I, know. <laughs> I enjoyed it. No, I enjoyed it, but what am I going to do there? I well, mean, now I, I have kids. To... I want to bring my kids there. But you show them the stuff. Here's the wall. We could be put a note in. <laughs> well, now you... I'd like to go because now I have Israeli friends who live there. I oh, have right. people that I met on the Zohan movie that I did. Yes. And then I have people that are like my neighbors in New Jersey who go every year. And I would love to go that way, but not just as a tourist, you know. Yeah, okay, all right. You know, but could you see yourself living there? Um, I'm pretty adaptable now that there's the internet. Yeah. <laughs> all I do is stay in my room anyway. But would you, could, but would you <laughs> like to live there? Because, I mean, uh, that's sort of the idea. I kind of like to live everywhere. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. My, uh, you know what I mean? I, uh, but I just, I never even think about Ireland. I want to go to, I want to live in Ireland. I wanna, I there's so why. many things I want to do, but I just, I have two kids and I got this autistic child and that's my, four, you know, I've got to take care of What's him. the age that's, difference? There are 10 year difference. Wow. Yeah. So, because I remember like, you know, when the autistic child was young and, you know, and yeah. how involved you became with, with, uh, yeah. With taking care of them and and and, and sure. services for them and like yeah, what yeah. and how 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 difficult is how how how's he function now? I mean, what is it high functioning or what? No. How's it, no. I, I mean, you know, people don't like the term functioning anymore. I'm sorry, I don't. know It's okay. Going. I just I try to keep up too, and it's very complicated, and I don't like to complain about it because I think it's important that you know I, there are a lot of people in the autism community that have voices now that didn't when I started. Yeah, you know, and there was much more of misinformation back then yeah i mean my son is mostly nonverbal, has a lot of issues as it's taken many years to kind of get him to control his self-injurious yeah. behavior and things like that and uh but at the same time i just think it's a great thing that more voices are, sure. are out there because they weren't out there i never the only person who was autistic, who ever spoke about it back then was Temple Grandin. Right. You know, and now there's like a wide variety of people. Yeah. Thanks to social media who have access. And, and I think that's a good thing. And yeah. the connection that I, I just, I mean, in the last 20 years, just so many amazing people have like just come in and out of our lives. Just oh yeah. People who are just uh, incredible empathy and patience and, you know, gentleness and, you know, 
with him. People who've been, you know, who've helped him learn to talk and communicate. He communicates through an augmentive device mm-hmm. on an iPad. Yeah. Which I think the iPad is like, nobody talks about it, but the iPad has made, it's, it's I know it's a big step forward technology wise, but the difference it's made to people with autism, autistic people who have uh, needed to communicate that way. Yeah. Just he used Great. to have to carry around like a twenty pound device. Oh really? Yeah, yeah. It's ridiculous. And and <laughs> so but he but yeah, just um just having those people in our lives has just been incredibly inspiring. And seeing what my wife is capable of. Yeah. It's really, like living with your hero. That's amazing. Is where yeah. where is he is he at home? Well now he lives in a house with other young adults, uh young autistic adults. Like these people are amazing, like so he contracted COVID. Oh, did he? He did because like one night person, like they tried so hard to quarantine those people and sequester them in a hotel. Oh. One person got it and brought it in and, and Daniel has trouble sleeping at night. So yeah. he got it and he was okay. So what happened was he had to be isolated. Right. And we were horrified. We weren't allowed to be with him. Right. Who's going to take all this time to be with him in his room? He was like isolated in his room. Uh, and all these these people who worked at the at the house yeah. just were like raising their hands. I'll wear the PPE. I'll spend hours with him in his room. You know, it's just what can you, what, how, how else can you feel but just blown away by that? You yeah. Know? And that happened. And then he, and then he went to the hospital. Uh, Six weeks later, he had a, he had uh, a, a delayed immune response and he was sick and now we were completely horrified like how is he going to handle being in the hospital and yeah the same people were willing to go to a hospital with other covid patients and where they were permitted to have one person there because these they are the people that work with them all the time yeah oh that's yeah beautiful yeah it's wow. it's stunning and yeah. you know so these are the kind of people that that I've been blessed to be in contact with. It's quite a life, man, in terms of figuring out or or really understanding what's important, you know? Yeah, I mean, that too, that's clearly like, obviously, the gift of clarity, Yeah, which, you know, people like us... Yeah, we're that's just, like the most elusive thing in the, you know. Wait, elusive because we keep it away. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, it's just we fucking just... Cl- yeah, yeah. We just stuff our minds with Ugh. ridiculous aspirations and uh and self-criticism but also like you know uh, you know you like you know the kind of stuff you do comedically or that you know you have done in your life where yeah. you're kind of defying expectation you know uh early on yeah in the sense that like i don't know where some of this stuff comes from like you know the crew that you uh, uh accumulated yeah you know, certainly in the first season of conan right it's like where the fuck? I mean, I don't even understand how that kind of comedy works. <laughs> you know, it's uh, that like, was how... like that was a bunch of people who, you know, Conan and me and Odenkirk, like we were in a box at Saturday Night Live. We loved Saturday. Well, Night Well, how do Live. you get there though? Like, so you what you what, you had a meltdown in dental school. What happened? <laughs> <laughs> I had I just sucked in college at science courses. I was a very good student in high school. Science was the only thing I had to work hard at yeah. to do, to get A's or A minuses. And then that's what you have to be good at. 
right. in order to be a dentist. And my dad would be like, why do they have to make you learn all this shit? You're not going to need it. I could train you to do this in like, a, you know. <laughs> That'd and, be so funny. If you like, you never went to dental school, but your father just taught you something, sort of an under the table kind of thing. He could have. I'm going to bring could've. my kid in. He, I taught him. He can do that. <laughs> Put the final layer where's on. His, where's his diploma? What are you asking me <laughs> where his diploma, diploma is? I've come up with bonding. What's yeah. the matter with you? My son. This is. I'm telling you, he knows how to yeah. do this. Yeah. That would have been hilarious. <laughs> you know, if somebody, if that had been legal, I would be a dentist I right know. now. Of course. Because that was the one impediment. Yeah. So I went to Cornell because, like I said, I, I got pretty good grades. And, yeah. uh, you know, that was the only Ivy League school I got into. So I just like, okay, I'll go there. So you do. So you're going for pre-med? Yeah. I'm taking like biology and yeah. general chemistry and, and fucking de-minusing it. Yeah, Ugh. and like, and I'm yeah. telling my parents this on the phone, and like, I'm half in tears, and they immediately switch like to absolute pity and empathy, like, whatever, man, you don't have to be a dentist. What you can give it up if you want, and I'm like, no, no. If it <laughs> was he, reverse psychology, it worked. No, I'm going to keep at it. Was it? Were you feeling pressure or just no? Ex- I never felt pressure. I literally, I literally did not believe. The only thing I ever wanted to do was be funny yeah honestly or be an nba basketball player which was like i mean look at at me not gonna happen so so so, but you knew that you could be funny professionally i didn't that was the only thing i ever enjoyed doing that mattered to me i was like well if i'm not gonna do that i might as well be a dentist because my dad's an amazing dentist and i'll 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 be in on this uh incredible practice and i'll be good at it because i did i was good with my hands i thought i'd be good at it yeah and um, that'll be that. But then you'd be like, you know, what's your father's name? Irwin. Irwin's son. Yeah, yeah I know. I, I didn't the care laminate about that. guy. I no, literally, that was the father. I didn't care about that. <laughs> that I didn't care about that. I never. That, that, the one who was I, on Mike Douglas. No, his son. That stuff. I, yeah. I, I worshipped my dad, and honestly, like, yeah. like I say, I, it's like I'm prouder of being his son than yeah. any of my pooping or. <laughs> Pumping or any of the stuff I've done, yeah. um, I, I, and I mean that. But I just felt like I'm never gonna. I'm, you're never gonna. Nowadays, yeah. I think people, you can't make as much money, but there's way more opportunity now. There's just so much. No, no, in oh. comedy. Oh, sure. There's yeah. just so many more venues back we, then. We, you could do like, it right now. You, I mean, anyone can do it. Yeah, that's exactly. Yeah. Make a video, and you're yeah. in comedy, basically. Yeah. I, you know, I, I don't know if you make a you know life out of it, but you can certainly. No, but you make can say I, I do. I make comedy yeah, films. I, and I make kind of a living. Yeah, and yeah. It's like being a musician now. Yeah. you know, I'm a musician. I'm a comedian. <laughs> whatever. It, it kind of you know. I hate it and I love it at the same time. I'm glad people are expressing themselves. Yeah, but they didn't all do the work. <laughs> the work. I know. I well. I don't know what I did. I I I, I went to Chicago. You so did the work. So I you did, drop I, out of I, Cornell. I transferred to NYU for a year and and my parents, this was after two years and it was like, uh, I just want to take all these courses and get them out of my system and see. So I took an acting class. I took communications at NYU, which is like a complete, I, you know, it's like radio and those people that, that majors in it, majors in communication. I know. know. It's like, don't go to college and do that. Just learn anything that you can only learn in college. But we worked all I always the tell different people. jobs in a TV studio. That's what I would do. <laughs> Today, you're running the telecine machine. <laughs> this week, you're going to be the yeah. assistant director. Yeah. And so there were two weeks that I would look forward to. Right. The, year, the one where I was on camera. Right. And the one where I got to write the bit. Yeah. Those were the two weeks. And I realized, like, what the fuck am I doing? I'm, who what am I kidding with yeah. this communication yeah, shit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what I want to do, and I'm never going to do it. <laughs> 
<laughs> and then I, I'm like 21, and NYU is throwing a stand-up comedy contest. Yeah. And I'm thinking, okay, I have to commute to NYU. Nobody knows me because they wouldn't let me live in a dorm because yeah. I had a Manhattan address. Yeah. Nobody knows me. So I'm going to write an act and I'm going to enter. God damn it. Yeah. I'm going to do this. Yeah. I'm going to enter and uh, I won't be humiliated because I'm literally uh, invisible. Invisible. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> like I, I knew people the year I took acting courses, but right. once I went back into this pathetic, mediocre uh, attempt at, uh, at pre-med, I just became this sad guy who would just like have trouble getting uh, up out of bed in yeah. the morning. Didn't know anybody. So I wrote this act. Yeah. And I invited like my high school and camp friends, like four people. Jewish camp? Jewish camp, of course. Yeah. That's a whole other digression. And <laughs> and I, you know, did this ridiculous thing where I yeah. was an Orthodox rabbi actually turning the pages and I had a cotton candy beard and I would eat the beard and <laughs> it was ridiculous. And then I, it was just nice because I was an Andy Kaufman lover, yeah. of course. So I yeah. had this ridiculous thing that started. And then I just did topical or I just did humor about living at NYU, like right. conventional standup. Yeah. But I was one of the winners. I was one of their, they picked three winners. I was definitely third. Yeah. I know I was because Hugh Fink, you know Hugh Fink. Sure. He pulled his fiddle out and he pulled his it. fiddle out and murdered. And he, I mean, he was a pro. He'd already done it. And then yeah. this other kid named Jonathan Weinstein, I think, yeah. who I think is still a working comedian, he was better than me. But fortunately, there were three slots and I finished third. And it was the most, it changed my whole life because I was like, I've never made strangers laugh. I never thought I could. And you did good. I well, my I just I'll never forget that moment of uh, being shocked that I was one of the winners and seeing my four friends like light up at the table in the distance. Yeah, it's just frozen in my head. It's the moment that changed my whole life because I had never made a stranger laugh like that. I never even thought to try. And then from then on, I was like, God damn it, I can fucking do just like any self-centered narcissistic creative person like, yeah they just think i suck i suck what i'm good yeah. fuck everybody yeah yeah <laughs> here we go here we go so i then so i actually the winners of this contest got to perform at the comic strip against other schools oh wow so i did that too modified the act a little added something about reagan i did a reagan impression of him trying to keep his boner down while he was fucking nancy <laughs> <laughs> and he's just saying, show shooter programs. It was that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and I'm literally like humping the micro stand on stage in front of my parents who are now like, Robin won a contest with Let's Go. <laughs> <laughs> after this, after the comic strip, they were embarrassed. It was, no, no, I okay. won. Oh, you won the comic strip? I won strip? that and I won a spot. What? I, yeah, so Richie Tinkins like, hey, you know what? Your material's really good. I mean, it's got to say it's really good. You got to, you know, just relax a little. How you doing, folks? That kind of thing. You're a little nervous up there, but <laughs> but you're really good. You, the material, I, I'm telling you, the material is like, uh, you're ready to, I, I, right, right now, you're ready to go. <laughs> so, so you won the whole thing? I won the thing, and then I got, Did you I do won the a spot. Cotton Candy Beard? I did the Cotton Candy Beard, but then when I would do the Cotton Candy Beard at two in the morning? Yeah. The only people that, because it's like, you're going to start at two in the morning. You know, I'm, yeah. you're not, it's not like I was Adam Sandler, who they right. put on at like yeah. 930 the right away. boy. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I wasn't like that. Yeah. I just had good material. Late and, night spots. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I'm like, you know, now I'm like a new version of pathetic. I'm like staying up till one o'clock and living with candy? my parents. <laughs> 
on the Upper East Side, and I'm bringing my little thing of cotton candy to the comic strip. And there's like four people there. And sometimes I'd kill, and other times it'd be like, do something. Because, like, people who stay at a comedy club till two in the morning, they don't want to see an Andy Kaufman bit. They just want to be talking. They're to like, him. what's happening? Why aren't you talking to us? Why yeah, aren't yeah. we just like, break we're, it down? We, we stayed here to be part of the act, you asshole. <laughs> so I did yeah. it for a while. And by the end, like, the last time I ever did the comic strip, I was the last act. I was on for 40 minutes. I killed with four guys and we just talked and I was just riffing. Yeah. And I had a great time. And then I was just like, I don't know what else to do. And I met this guy, coincidentally, this wonderful Chicago sketch performer named Tim Kazarinski. I remember him. He had just been cast on Saturday Night Live. Yeah. This is 1982. Dick Ebersol had taken over from Dumanian. I think it was 82, 81. Yeah. And he was shocked that I knew him because I was just an SNL nerd. Tim Kazarinski, how are you? He's like, huh, you know who I am? And then he explains to me that uh, you like comedy. Oh, you should go take an improv class in uh, Chicago. You can do it in a summer. And that sounded good to me. Like, oh, really? No commitment? I don't have to feel like I'm falling on my face if I'm not good. I like the sound of that. So I went there and then I met all these people that I... What was you the know. class? Where was it at? Was There's it a, a place city? called the Players Workshop? I never the heard of that city. One. Oh, oh, so it's part it of was, Second it City. It was an offshoot of the Second City that was really the first improv school. Bill Murray went there. George Went went there. Oh yeah, people like that. Yeah, and um, so and it was an incredibly nurturing place. And half the so people, it's a school. It's a school. You take classes. You, yeah. You, you know, they give you very fixed rules about comedy. Like, there's three kind of sketches. There's inappropriate behavior. There's uh, one-upsmanship. And there's and it was actually like, it sounds kind of corny, but it gave you confidence because they were kind of simple games to play. And yeah. It was easy to feel funny. And a lot of people who were in the class weren't even trying to be funny. They just wanted to- Learn how to be Learn how to be better. confident yeah. around other people yeah, yeah, and be yeah. funnier at parties or yeah. something. So it was easy to be like one of the funniest people very quickly. Who was there? Anyone we know? Not in my class, but I got to know Bob Odenkirk through that place. He must have been very serious back then. No, he was he he was very he was serious, but he was also universally acknowledged by me and my friends to be the funniest person in Chicago. Oh, I yeah. was I was in awe of <laughs> yeah. Bob Odenkirk. Yeah, yeah. I even told my girlfriend who I ended up marrying I think maybe I should quit and manage Bob Odenkirk. <laughs> That's how much. Uh, and, and he's the one guy when I got Saturday Night Live, I was so intimidated. And a lot of people go there and they try to like hire their friends. I'll get yeah. you in. And, yeah. and I loved all the people I'd worked with, but I was so intimidated that I just couldn't bring myself to push for anybody except Bob Odenkirk. Oh, that's interesting. So yeah. you take these classes and you're you're doing because like I've known Bob a long time. Yeah. Now he's an action star. Yes. I Did know. you see it? I have not seen it yet. It's I haven't good. seen it. I'm sure it's good. I'm sure it's good. Bob knows what he's doing. He's so funny. He's got yeah. like he never yeah. does anything bad. Yeah. yeah. What is that about him? He's just got taste and he's smart and he's also uh, he works brilliant. his ass off. Dude. He works his ass off, which I respect. You know, he doesn't pretend to be too cool for school. You know? Nothing come easy to that guy, really. No, I mean, no, I have so much respect for him because he wasn't intimidated at SNL. I know he calls himself an asshole, how he behaved there, but he wasn't in awe of the place. And he inspired me to write sillier stuff because I was just trying to emulate what Alan Tom How did you get in there? I got in there through, so I made friends in Chicago with some people in my class and I got into um, 
a comedy group. We formed right. a comedy group together. And what was the happened. name of that? Well, I didn't name the group. Mark. Okay, okay. It was called All You Can Eat, <laughs> and yeah. it was done. It was, the the guy who named it was like very Machiavellian. He was like, "This way, it's going to be the first name in the Chicago Theater Guide." Yeah, A L. It's going to be the first thing people see, and he was right. Actually, and the show, I mean, I think the shows were good, but we like were incredibly successful. Like, oh, that's great. We ended up having our own like 150 seat theater that would sell out and we did four shows a week and I didn't have to work. Like I, we split the proceeds. Who was in it? Anyone we know? Yes. Um, uh, Jill Talley. Do you know yeah, Jill yeah, Talley? Yeah, yeah. She's yeah. married to Tom Kenny. Yeah, she yeah, does sure. a lot of voices yeah. now. And, um, uh, a writer, who, Mr. Show, too, right? Yeah, she was on Mr. Yeah. Show yeah. with Tom. Yeah, and Dave Reynolds uh, co-wrote uh, Finding Nemo. He's a very talented mm. screenwriter now. Um, there were a lot of funny people in there. This guy Doug Dale, who um, I think is one of the funniest people I know, and he was when I did that comedy show, when I did that sketch puppet cartoon show on Comedy Central called yeah. TV Funhouse. Yeah, yeah. It was like a child, uh, a children's. Uh, show hosted by like a gentle guy and all the puppets every week would desert the place and go off on adventures yeah. and leave him hanging right, right and doug dale played that guy oh yeah yeah but he and he almost got he was beaten out by john lovitz to get he got that far in the snl thing yes he was beaten out by john lovitz and then he never it's amazing how that kind of shit so who happened. pulls you in snl al franken and tom davis were shooting a movie al, in chicago and al's funny ah, you're, ah, ah, ah. so he uh He's shooting a movie with Tom Davis. It was uh, the premise is so ridiculous to t- describe now. They were playing like a Grateful Dead kind of band because th- they were deadheads, Al and Tom. Uh, he's still, it's like he's so, like, Al's like total deadhead. Yeah, total deadhead. He, yeah. He and uh, Ann Coulter, oddly enough, right? Is that true? I believe Ann Coulter is a deadhead. Oh, that yes. seems wrong. Yeah, that makes me upset. I know. It's she like, shouldn't be allowed. Or maybe she's a fish. Maybe it's fish. Then I could understand. <laughs> I think it's Deadhead. Yeah. So anyway, Al and Tom were shooting this movie and they cast my friend Dave in a major role in the movie. And so Al and Tom came to our show. Yeah. And they really liked our show. And yeah, that was not, you know, and then we had drinks afterward at a place called Zoom Deutschenek. And I was like, this is great. It's validation. And that's that. And then two weeks later, Remember how TV Guide had that front page of the non-shiny section that was like all the TV news that you could ever have yeah, access yeah, yeah. to? It was yeah. just the front page of the right, non-shiny right, right. part of TV Guide okay. program section. Yeah. And I'm reading oh, two yeah, weeks yeah, remember, later, yeah. Lauren Michaels is returning to Saturday Night Live and Al Franken and Tom Davis are going to be his producers. And I just like, my head exploded. Like, I'm going to get a chance to... Yeah, they, they, I, I, I'm gonna they get a chance. Me. I'm gonna get. There's an opening. They, yeah. maybe, maybe they, they really like us. Yeah, I, I couldn't believe it. And sure enough, like three of us got to audition for Lauren, and um, <laughs> then Doug made it to the next round. Uh, my Howie Mandel impression didn't impress him. Did you do the glove? <laughs> we did. I, me and Doug did Howie and Pee Wee doing Who's on First. Oh, okay. And destroying the bit with props. <laughs> that was the premise. Did you blow the plastic rubber glove up? Yes, on of course head? I did. Oh. <laughs> I that was, you know. <laughs> you had to. I had the honker for yeah. it. But then they invited me to interview as a writer. I submitted a separate packet and Jim Downey liked it and, and then I got hired. I ended up being the one person from the group who did get hired. 
As a writer. As a writer. The, yeah. And that's Lauren's first year back. Lauren's first year back. That, that infamous he, year with like Anthony Michael Hall and Robert yeah. Downey Jr. And, and is that the year that, did that go well that year? It was a very difficult year because he had all these incredibly talented people, but they weren't necessarily sketch performers. Did they want them to, wasn't they, weren't they looking to kill it? The show? I, no, I think oh, Lauren... Once he got back, it was like... We're, we're, I think Lauren wanted to reinvent it, and he was maybe slightly insecure about wanting to be cutting edge and not feeling like he was repeating himself. So uh -huh. he like went aggressively for like, I'm going to get... like Robert, Chris... Down, Robert, and, Robert and Michael Hall were like 19 and 18. Right. And then he hired Joan Cusack, who's one of the funniest yeah, people on very Earth. Very funny, yeah. Yeah, and uh, Randy Quaid was there. And, oh, yeah. Wow, that's a wild yeah, season, man. And Nora Dunn and John Lovitz and Dennis Miller, who were all more from a sketch background. Well, uh -huh. no, Nora and John were. And then Dennis was the Weekend Update guy. And right. those were the three who ended up surviving that season. And then everyone else got cleared out? Everyone and else got did, cleared you, out. You survived. I barely survived. And I thought I was going to get fired. Franken on the phone almost told me as much. I was a great. You did great. Listen, <laughs> you did great, but it's hard. And I just... Hey, you know who really might get back is Schwartzwelder. God, he was funny. I'd love to keep talking about how funny he is, Al. Uh, yeah, what, he wrote that sketch. Yeah, And then it ended up, then three people stood up for me. And I'll always owe Dennis Miller, A. Whitney Brown, John Lovitz. They were all invited back. They were all like really tight with Lauren at this point because they'd all done great that first year. And they all advocated for me to come back. They all thought I was a funny writer. And I think that is really the big, I, I, I don't know if I would have been a stain on the wall. So what was your relationship with Lauren early on? I mean, I have to assume that it got very good. It got very good, but yeah. it wasn't the first year. Yeah. It wasn't the first year. And I was very, I was uh, so nerdy yeah. and so in awe of the place. Like yeah. I literally walked in there and I knew, this is Leo Yoshimura. Yeah. The, the, you know, they'd introduce me. This is Leo, the uh, set designer. I hear very funny in the Star Trek sketch O'Donohue wrote where you played Sulu, Leo Yoshimura. This is Edie Baskin. I very much enjoy your hand-tinted bumpers of Gilda and the like. <laughs> and they're like, okay, this guy is not going to be any fun. Plus, I had like a Jufro that I would not get rid of. Yeah. This is like 1985, and I was just, I, I didn't want to break up with my Jufro. I yeah. was attached to it. And yeah. meanwhile, the kids in the hall guys are in there, like Bruce McCullough and Mark McKinney are the other young writers, and they've got the buzz on yeah. the side. Yeah, cuts, yeah. Yeah, and they're wearing like oversized sweaters, and they're incredibly confident, as yeah. they deserve to be. And you're doing the old Franken. Like the 70s Franken. I'm just like, hi, I'm just here. What can I do? How can I please you? And Lauren just thought I was the biggest nerd. I just, I know he did. Yeah. And then I sort of had this reverse kind of like, I'm not cool. And I know I'm not cool. And I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to be judged on the work. Yeah. And like, so I made no effort to ingratiate myself. And when did it start to and, like and turn then, around? Like, what was the work that made people go like, "Holy shit!" Well, like, okay, so George Meyer was a great writer at the time who yeah. who had joined SNL that year, and and he had assured me, "Don't worry, no matter how you do, Lauren never fires anyone. Yeah, uh, he gives everyone a year. It's gonna be, you know, yeah, you're very funny." Then I I got one sketch on on the very first show with Madonna, and then five weeks in a row of nothing. And I was writing like weird shit. 
because like there was a part of me I was so in awe, but at the sec- but at the same time, like Letterman was the cool show back then, right? And my comedy was sort of more about that, and I was writing stranger shit and like, like you what? Know, oh, like like stuff that Jim Downey would like that Lauren would just this is bullshit. Like, yeah, <laughs> like I wrote a sketch, like a candid camera sketch that was practical jokes on animals, yeah, live animals. So it was like, watch this goat react to the moving mailbox. <laughs> and it's just a goat. And it's like a Doing stunt nothing. that a human would be confused by and the goats just like this. Don't even notice. We told this turtle that he was going to meet Burt Reynolds and have lunch with him. Ah. But, this tur- but what this turtle doesn't know is that it's a Burt Reynolds impersonator. <laughs> <laughs> Wait till the look on his face when he realizes that that voice is not Burt Reynolds' voice. <laughs> so then the Burt Reynolds impersonator starts yeah. talking, yeah. and then there's just like a snap zoom on the turtle's head. <laughs> no reaction. <laughs> <laughs> to me, this is like the funniest thing in yeah. the world. And Jim Downey loved it, but Lauren was, <laughs> Lauren was just, fuck this fucking nerdy. <laughs> so then on my fifth show... Tom Hanks, who yeah. I was a huge fan of. Nobody really knew him back then. He had right. done Splash. Right. But I love the show Bosom Buddies. Yeah. I, everybody jokes about Bosom Buddies. Tom Hanks was so funny on that show. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Yeah, yeah. It was like some like it hot uh, sitcom. Tom there's, a, Hanks, there's a famous story about a, a Boston comic who, uh, who actually got the part, in, a guy named Mike Donovan. Oh, really? Who got the part in Bosom Buddies or was like up for it. Okay. And he's this guy, Mike Donovan. You know, he talks like this. He's sort of pretty <laughs> monotone. He's kind of an odd guy. Yeah. But the whole story is like he flies out to LA and he's like, I got to dress like a fucking lady. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Shit. And that was. Sorry. My was, headphone. That was a headphone yeah, knocker uh, off. Yeah. And that was the I end of it. I just lost my headphones. I got to dress. What the <laughs> fuck is this? Yeah, yeah. What's Nick DiPaolo going to say? <laughs> Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> exactly. Not a chance. Exactly. And that was that. You're then... paying for my return flight, motherfucker. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Dress like a lady. <laughs> That's hysterical. So you so, loved Hanks? I loved Hanks. Yeah. And okay, so I wrote a sketch. Yeah. That was, this is something Lauren used to say a lot that was true. He would say, when you're young, you define yourself by what you don't like. <laughs> you know? And yeah. that was actually not a bad point. because. Yeah. You know how in comedy, when you're young, a lot of, at least sketch writers, a lot of sketch writers love to make fun of bad comedy. Right. And I, God knows I did. So, so Seinfeld was very popular at the time, yeah. but there were a lot of comedians who were adopting his I remember mannerism. that bit. There wasn't yes. there a bit where- Three comedians three, backstage. All doing Seinfeld. Yes. Yeah. That was they, you? Not deliberately, yes. Right. And the whole point was that it's such an unnaturalistic- way of speaking uh, uh, well, that's not the kind of thing that i'm gonna know about yeah i don't know about you <laughs> but i want to know like so and and i noticed that other comedians were doing it it happens all the time with it depends on the act there was yeah it's a it's a it happens i've seen it with other people yeah like there was a bunch of Attells oh, for a while. There were a bunch of Attells, and well, how like about Hedberg, how many how many Hedbergs? Kinnisons, Not necessarily in stand-up, but how many people started saying, "I want to fuck it up." <laughs> like that whole thing became a thing that everybody stole. Do you know where he got that? No, dude, it's the best story. It's gonna blow your mind. Where would he get it? Like, cause I, I've told this on the air before, 
but I love telling it to people who... who I have no idea. You will never guess. Because I used to do coke with that fat fuck. So, like, I'm, I remember... You know, sitting around, you know, because I was like 22. Yeah. At the doorman at the comedy yeah. store. I'm like, how'd you do it, man? How'd you figure it out? You know, I'd always ask people that. I've, yeah, I've got yeah, two sure. great stories like that. Like, where, he's like, he just looks at me and goes, Gene Wilder. Oh, is it Dude. is it in Willy Wonka? Oh, my God. That's right? just two words, and he explained it. Right? That's amazing. The build. That's amazing. But I give him credit because- Well, it's, it's also a preacher if thing. If I had heard that, yes, it's definitely a preacher thing. Here's the other story But he made quick. it his own. It's not- yeah. I don't no, consider no, I don't that think he a was hacking it. at all. At no, no, no. All. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But the drive shaft. That's amazing. The build. Yes. Like, you know, he yes. noticed that as the device. Yeah. It's not a ripoff at all because no, how no. would you ever know? Exactly. Um, exactly. The other one was uh, I, I was in the car with Jimmy Miller and Janine Garofalo. Yeah. Uh, in Boston, Jimmy was like, I don't know what he's doing, looking for people or whatever. And he was, he was already managing Janine. Scoping some people out back. Exactly. I, I do Dennis for Jimmy all the time. So, uh, <laughs> well, this was the great moment. Like, because I, I was always that guy, I was always sweaty and like, what about, how did you, what did you feel? tell me what I got to do? You know? Yeah. So I just remember like um, yelling at Jimmy. It's like, you know, I'm just trying to figure it out. And your brother figured it out. How do you figure it out? How do you find his voice? And I just hear from the backseat, he's doing Belzer. <laughs> <laughs> I love the two words for each story. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Gene Wilder, no one bells her. <laughs> it's so funny that you say that because when me and Dana Carvey in the office would imitate Dennis, yeah. I would always say, hey, Bab, yeah. what are you doing, Bab? And he's like, Bobby, I don't, I don't use Bab. I yeah. don't do Bab. Yeah. And I guess that was like an unconscious Belzer thing that we were doing. But you guys, you okay, so you tapped into the making fun of the other comics. So Lauren said that when you're younger, you define yourself by things you don't like. So, so that you did sketch this. was a big hit that night. Well, yeah, because of the Seinfeld thing. Yeah, so yeah, so Tom, I knew Tom would be great at yeah, it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And- um, Oh, that was the fifth show. That was the fifth show, and it was the and big it, hit of the night. And right. I went home and nerdily- had I, you know, I would VHS every show, and yeah, I, yeah, and I literally watched it like five times. Uh, I was like, just killing. I can die. People I got it. Wasn't, wasn't Leno in it I or made, something? Who was strange. in it? Didn't some no, comic Leno show up? Leno did it later. Leno oh, oh, did a oh, okay. second version of it. No, it was actually originally I wanted Steve Wright to be in it, but but we cut him <laughs> out of it where he's just like stone faced having a con trying to have a conversation. Yeah, because Steve was a guest that week. Oh, but um. But we ended up. It was better for the energy. Who was in it? It was Dana. It was Dana. No, no, no. It wasn't Dana. It was. It was Tom. Yeah. Lovitz and Damon Wayans. So that. So that fifth show that locked you in. You feel like that turned it. it at least I felt like. Um, you did. You, you know, personally, I felt like. Well, if I get fired, at least I did this in my life. I made. <laughs> so you were. Oh my God, dude! You were there for so long. Well, yeah. I mean, I was there for till '93 till I got the Conan show. Yeah, I ended up doing very well. Like the next year is when I really kicked in. Like I did the Reagan is a genius sketch behind yeah, yeah. the scenes and the Star Trek uh, that Trekkies was the best. thing. That was, that Get a life thing. Yeah. That was the best. Thank you. But, you know, and I wrote these. <laughs> when I say I did it, I always had people like John Vitti, George Meyer type yeah. collaborators or even Downey sometimes. But, but did you go back there? I mean, like Yeah, how so what happened was I, I was the type of person, 
I think a pattern I've seen developing, like where I'm like, I'm never going to be able to do anything. So like I would not leave SNL unless I had another job. Right. And that's when the Conan thing, I mean, I tried. And that was like almost in house in a way. Yeah. I mean, and Conan and I wrote this Adam West pilot look well. That was our, that was our escape hatch at one point. But so wait, so you, we've neglected. So you pulled Bob in a year. I pulled Bob in in like 1987. Yeah. And then, uh, you so know, and he, then Conan he, joined in '88. Okay, think, so with, the th- with Greg Daniels, and then we became, then we became all really tight. Okay, because I would always gravitate toward the young guys, like it used to be. But Bruce you and McCullough. Bob, you and Bob aren't Harvard. Greg, I no, think's Harvard. No, no. Right, Conan's Greg and Harvard. Conan are Harvard, but yeah. Bob and I are no, yeah, not at all. We're we're from Chicago. Bob, Chicago. I consider myself a Chicago professional. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Type yeah. of performer <laughs> yeah, and writer. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I didn't do any comedy in college other than this one contest at NYU. <laughs> so, but I mean, but just the, the the weird fraternal brotherhood of the Harvard thing is its own thing. But yeah, so yeah. you guys became you all wrote together and and how does it work over there? You guys, how did you end up? Because I remember I used to judge you for some reason. Because <laughs> I don't like I'm not sure I always understood Sandler. You know what I mean? Right. In terms a lot of, of people didn't. And and like, you know, as time goes on, you know, I look at things differently. But like at the time, you know, the, the there was sort of this I you know, because I always respected you and I you know, and I respect Adam. I don't want to get in any trouble with Adam because like totally he's, fine. He's done amazing things. You know, but when I was a more cunty, you yeah. know, cocky guy. You had a totally different comedy vibe than Adam did. Right, exactly. And I yeah. and I well, I remember You're yeah. much more grounded. I don't know. I'm just I'm just an angry asshole. And, and, and I understand. The, the, but the thing is, is like, or Adam I was, was then. Adam he was, was funny. Very, but, you, but you appreciated that. That's what I'm finding I when I'm talking it. to you. Is that like it's not you're not judging on you're only judging the comedic, you know, the funniness. Yes, but I would. I mean, I was judgmental about other sketches that I thought sucked. But uh-huh. I would get into arguments with people like Al Franken about Sandler, though. Oh, really? Yeah, because Sandler would write a piece. And people would assume it was idiotic because he was doing a voice like this. I don't know what you're talking about. Like he wrote a piece called Canteen Boy, um, which was about a guy who was obsessive about his canteen and knew all about like, you know, he would rattle off facts about snakes and things like this and camping. and, And everybody, it was this incredibly complex scene because- all these people would come up to him at parties and like, oh, really, Canteen Boy? They're being totally passive aggressive uh-huh. and feeling superior. Yeah. And Canteen Boy is just doing his thing, rattling off these absurd facts. Yeah. But Canteen Boy was aware that he was being fucked with. Yeah. And he would eventually get snakes to uh, <laughs> get their revenge on, uh-huh. uh, you know, uh, these people. Yeah. And it was so much more psychologically complex than 90% of the stuff being written. And I remember saying this to Al after a read through yeah. and he was like, he would do this tilted head. He would tilt his head like the Chuck wagon dog. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. You know, because so many sketches. Yeah. You, I like that the, the Al impression just becomes noises eventually. Oh my God. All my impressions back then. <laughs> oh, you, Everything I did was like a surreal impression. Dana and Carvey and I would just have so much fun. I mean, my Lauren impression was just, Jim Downey would ask me a question. What do you think of Ellen Cleghorn? Show. <laughs> How about David Spade? Show. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of idiocy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but, but anyway, uh, Sandler, 
he would write sketches and me and Conan and Greg and Bob would be giggling like five-year-olds in the corner of the read-through room. Yeah. They would play to dead silence. Yeah. You know, he'd play like a guy. Just because of snobbery? He'd bits. Just because snobbery? They were being I just snobby? don't think they... I just think he was ahead of his time. Mm. I think he was one of the most innovative writers that I came across at SNL. Uh-huh. Like, if you look at a sketch like The Hurlihy Boy, have yeah. you ever seen that? <laughs> yeah, I think so. It's like just a commercial where he's like, let me let me stay at your house. Let me, <laughs> let me watch your kids. Let me watch your kids. It was so... You got to watch it. I, I'm not going to yeah, do yeah, justice yeah. to it, but then... He would just keep talking about, you know, a message from the Hurley boy. Yeah. You know, and he's just saying, let me, and then they'd cut to Farley, for God's sake, let the boy watch your kids. <laughs> it was completely, it wasn't structured like any sketch you'd ever seen. Yeah. And Sandler was one of the few people who were reinventing sketch structure back then. Oh. I swear to God. Like, yeah. The, a lot of us were just writing simple kind of like premise escalates kind yeah. of shit. Yeah. And they were smart and funny. Right. But they weren't as inventive. They weren't as fresh. And also, but he knew he could drive them. Yeah. You, you know, yes. like. Yes. Well, I mean, he was just so pure. Like yeah. He had, he brought so much originality to the show. He he didn't fit any mold. Yeah. He was in his own world. He had all these voices that you never heard done in comedy before. I mean, a couple of them were derivative of like, he did one character that was like Ed Wynn, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he'd stand up in the middle of an audience and just, excuse me, excuse me, how dare you, Pat? Don't you realize people want to see you do sketches with celebrities? I don't know. It was yeah, like, yeah. He, we love you, Pat, but yeah. we want to help you. Uh, <laughs> it's like just a guy who took, like a fan who took his advice way too seriously. Right, right. Again, it was like a sophisticated idea right. cloaked in a nonsensical, silly voice. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, so. ma- you know, that makes sense. Like, and I also think that I sort of missed that chunk of SNL. Do you know what I mean? Oh. Like, I just sort of, like, I knew Stanway, I knew the movies. Yeah, you're like working Saturday. Exactly. Yeah. And I knew, like, the, you know, but it was more about, like, I knew who liked him. Like, I think yeah. that I judged him on his fans, and I decided people that- People do that. And I, I used to say people hate him because he reminds them of the kind of kid who picked on them in school. And I think I, I, I think I dismissed it as in, infantilized, you yes. know, in a way. Yeah, no, it was, it was easy to do, and people did it at the show. And we had a beef because of it over nothing. Oh. For, you know, because I made, I did a, a, a sketch, I did a bit on Conan that, you know, that was ma- really making fun of his fans. It was right. like this big piece. Oh, I get bit... it, man. I, 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 he, he can, you know. Sensitive. He can be sensitive about that stuff, and uh, I kind of didn't blame him. I think there's a little bit of, and I'll tell you why it didn't bother me that he was sensitive, because he's the kind of guy who would never go after another comedian. He's just that, he just like- It's not what he does. It's not what he does. No, but he doesn't, you're right. I mean, it doesn't, yeah. no, but he would never, he doesn't say anything negative about other people. He thinks it's, he's like, you know, sometimes I'll have a friend that I really like and, yeah. and and that friend will do an interview and they'll shit on a movie that they did. Yeah. 
And Adam's like, what the fuck is he doing that? These people worked on that movie with him. Yeah. You know, they're oh, not yeah, big stars did, right. like he is. And what's he getting a laugh off of that for? Mm. You know, why is he taking a shit on these people who worked hard? He's always nice to me and, and he's said nice things, but I don't really know if we're okay. <laughs> I've been waiting all this time for you to ask if someone and you are okay. I don't That's know. My... I don't really No, know. no, I know. I just enjoy it because it's the Mark Maron thing. Yeah, well, are I we mean, okay? Yeah, but I thought I got part my... of the sketch that I want you to do on Thursday has to do with that. Oh yeah, yeah, I heard about this. <laughs> it's up to you. I'm not going to No, no, I'll do it. Why not? But uh but anyway, but you know, but, but that's that's one of the outstanding ones. Like there's a couple of people like I know I'm not okay with. Like it's never coming back. It's not coming around. Yeah. But I with think, Adam, like I see him at the Netflix events or I saw him at an award show. He's like, very nice. He's, hey, he's, a, he's a forgiving guy. He's the best guy. I, I liked his did. new special a lot. His new special is amazing. And I, you know, I went to college with Brill. We used to write together. Oh, yeah. Brill's a great writer and director. Well, that's the thing about that thing. It's like, cause, like it's so hard for me. It really has to be sold well to me because I'm not really a surreal guy. But yeah, like yeah. I know that you that's do cool. it and I know that that Adam does it and I've grown to appreciate it and sometimes yeah. I really it really kills me but there seems to be part of your brain that's sort of like how fucking where can we push it how weird can this get and still work I think it's just yeah I think we're just uh I don't know I feel like I'm not as social uh I'm one of those writers who's yeah. not as socially adept and uh and so my comedy goes into those kind of stranger places that are more about alienation and uh and looking at people through, um, you know, a detached kind of lens, right, right. But know? it seems to me that because of that, like whatever happened, you know, when you guys got to do Conan, that to me, that first season of Conan just yeah. seemed like guys like you, yeah, who were like, let's just fucking do this. No, it was the greatest <laughs> job I've ever had or will ever have because, as you know, as I mentioned, I worship David Letterman and the opportunity, the challenge to take over that slot and try to create a show and do everything he didn't do and try to make it original was something like Conan was originally supposed to have my job. Yeah. You know, and as he, a writer, no, as the producer of the replacement show of whatever that was going to be. Yes. Yeah. 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 And then, but he just didn't have, he wasn't jonesing to be the guy figuring it out. He wanted to perform. Yeah. And he finally was honest with Lauren and he had like had lunch, had dinners with like Drew Carey and John Stewart and other people. When you Lauren know, was trying to cast it. Yes. Yeah. And Conan finally was like, I got to be honest with you. I just, there's a part of me that thinks that I can do it. And whether you think so or not, it just makes me feel like I got to pursue. That's my dream. And this isn't. And Lauren respected that. And, and, then came around and gave him a tryout. Yeah. And then Conan called me because I he already knew that it was my dream. To make the show. I wanted Build to it. be that guy. I wanted to be, who's the guy, Sigourney Weaver's dad, Pat Weaver. Yeah. Like, that's one of my heroes. He, like, reformatted the Today Show and the yeah. Tonight Show. And I, I just love the idea of trying to come up with a whole new way to do a late night show yeah. and and you know so it was the most thrilling job and then i we hired a lot of people we didn't know like i didn't know louis or dino stamatopoulos yeah like and that was the thing is like what a perfect like i couldn't like louis who is like right up your alley at that time totally yes. surreal totally yes. ballsy in yes. terms of like you know finding yeah. this other zone and then dino yes. like i still don't understand that guy <laughs> Like I, I don't, like, you know, is sort of performance art. His whole thing. I think he, I mean, he's he's, yeah, he's very true to himself, but he loves 
the persona as well. He, he, re- he reminds me of, of like he like if if you're an SNL nerd, it seems to me that like the Michael O'Donohue school. That's what he aspired to be, like sort of the dark outsider yeah. and the. Uh, was he at SNL? Like as he well? would ride a motorcycle yeah, at yeah. the time, even yeah. though he was a geek when he was a kid. Was he at SNL as well? No. Oh no. He so never so did where'd SNL. you find him? He submitted. He was. He had written for the Ben Stiller show, so okay. I was aware right. of him. Yeah. And he actually went to college with my wife uh, in Chicago, so uh-huh. I was aware of him there too. So he was in my radar, but he submitted the best packet I've ever seen. Like where there were like 10 ideas that I would put on the show immediately. Did you? Every one of them, I'm sure, got on the show. So Some of them bombed. <laughs> who were the other? Like, well, that was the that, thing. That but was, that was the year. But bomb. that was also the great thing. Is like, But yeah, it yeah. wasn't just, it wasn't a bomb of like, it was uh, a, of, it, of something falling flat. It was a bomb of like, you know, what the fuck was that? Yes. Noble failures. Yeah. No, or flailing period, I called it. The flailing period. We were so arrogant because- like, you know, when Conan first got the job, I was like trying to be happy for him, but I was nervous that he couldn't handle it. Yeah. And I was like slightly selfishly like, wait, this is the, my shot is going to be trying to make him work. Like, even though he was one of my best friends, this yeah. selfish thought came through my head. Like maybe he can't do can it. Can he really do it? Yeah. And, but then like I called him back like 10 minutes later and said, of course I'll be your head writer. What am I? Cause I remembered like. He's just a, been a great friend to me. Like Lauren would put me on SNL once in a while doing the the Bears thing or some update thing I did. Yeah. And Conan like spent hours helping me polish the bit. Yeah. And I was like, what am I even fucking hesitating? Of course I'm going yeah, to just this do is, it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, this is going to be totally worthwhile just to house. try to help it's Conan. Still, it's, a Lauren, it's a Lauren joint. Well, that that was a complicated thing because Lauren didn't feel like he was involved enough because Uh, Conan and I were so tight. Like he didn't want me, Lauren didn't want me to do it. Yeah. Lauren wanted to get uh, someone from Letterman to work with Conan. Right. Partly because he didn't want me to leave SNL, but I also think he thought those guys are so tight. They're just going to do whatever they want. (laughs) And that kind of is what happened, you know? Yeah. And, but I mean, he, he, he definitely stayed involved, but it was a different gig than it would have been if, he was pairing two people who were not as simpatico. Right. So it, it was you and Conan and, and Louie and Conan and at the core. And then we hired Louie and, and Dino. Brian, and, was it Brian Hart or what's that? No, uh, Marsh McCall, Michael Gordon, David Reynolds, um, Amir Golan. Do you remember that comedian? Of Chuck, course. Chuck Sklar. Sklar. Yeah. Yeah. Tom Agna. Oh, like, Agna. Right. Yeah. yeah. Louis CK, of course. And, yeah. And, um, and we took it so crazily far that, like then there became this tension because things would bomb and Conan was getting bad reviews. Right. And there'd be this <laughs> you part of Conan that's like, I love this. Back. Yeah. I love this, but I'm not sure it's servicing me as a host as well as it could be. So yeah. there was that yeah. kind of tension and we adjusted over time. We had to. By the time I left, I feel like the show had changed a lot and was much more Still silly and funny, but not as completely crazy. Like we would have people interrupt interviews. Yeah. Like my yeah, friend yeah. Doug. Yeah. My friend Doug, who ended up doing TV Funhouse, he played this character called Doug the Neighbor. Yeah. And like Conan would literally be talking to Gore Vidal. Yeah. And there'd be <laughs> all of a sudden, hey, Conzi, how you doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he'd be like the Tim <laughs> Allen neighbor from behind a fence. Oh, I'm sorry, everybody. I'm sorry, Mr. Vidal. It's Doug, my neighbor. <laughs> Who are you talking to today? <laughs> Gorva who? 
or Hoover who? And, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, it was that kind of shit. And then Conan would have to get back into the conversation. Right. So, yeah, yeah. It was not it, like if Conan had been a seasoned, like, right. guy who'd done a lot of. Right. If he'd been like Jimmy Kimmel was, where sure. Jimmy had been on radio yeah. for years. Yeah, had chops. Yeah. Right. But Conan was finding all of that. So it was literally like a practical joke on Conan to, to, to do those kind of things. <laughs> yeah. And it's not like I was pushing it on him because yeah. he's a writer at the core and yeah. he loved these ideas. Yeah. It's like, yeah, let's try it. Yeah. So it was like sort of this painful realization that like, I'm not ready to do this. I love it. I'm not ready to do it. And it took you know, a long time. It was a, it was a painful learning curve. How long were you there? I burned out, man. I was there for like a year and a half. Were you there when I did uh, Bad Fruit Theater? I think uh, I was. I played, uh, I was Dennis Hopper in The Apocalypse yes. Now. Yes. Bad Fruit. That was Fruit. Louis' bit. It was Louis' bit. And yes. he did the, the Apocalypse Now the night of uh, Coppola, when Coppola was on the show. Yes. Right. Oh, that was really exciting. Yeah. And, yeah, we uh, did it just for Coppola. I just remember working that voice, man, the Hopper voice. And yeah, then, you were great. And then the, the whatever I was, a rotten pear or something, it immediately, <laughs> immediately just fell off its post. Of course. Of course. <laughs> like a good rotten pear was supposed to do it did it exactly so you, on cue but then you like so you burnt out there and then like you, you know what happened i i i didn't totally it was like i had just been a newlywed i got married yeah. like three months into the show yeah and i had been such a shitty boyfriend yeah for eight years at saturday night live yeah this is everything this is everything this comes first right and then I'm finally married. And when you get married, it's different. It's like that feeling of commitment. Yeah. You know, you're terrified yeah. of it. And then it happens and yeah. everything changes. And it's yeah. like, wow. And it felt great. You wanted to enjoy and then it? I didn't want to I didn't want to let her down after that. Right. Well, that's nice. And then it became like, oh, this job is harder than that job was. And I waited until I got another job. And and I used that as kind of an excuse. But is that when Groff Groff came in? No, Groff was like he came. He came in like a year later. He, so Louis filled in. Who took Louis over? was supposed to do it, and then he backed out because he realized this is not what I want to do with my life. Yeah. So then Marsh McCall did it for like a year, and then Marsh right. McCall left to do sitcoms, and then Groff came in. Yeah. And Groff, I think, was probably the best. He was fantastic. Yeah, I started with Groff as a stand-up, and he wrote for my dumb show on. Uh, I gave him his he first writing the, job for your Marin show. No, no, for oh. short attention span theater oh. on Comedy Central. S A S T. Yeah, yeah, I made them hire him because they it was He's so great. terrible. And that was like right. his first writing job. He was a fantastic head writer at Conan. Solid guy. Yeah, he's one of those grounded people. Yes, that's why he's he's grounded. That's yeah. why he can write sitcoms. He's had a much more success writing that kind of shit than I ever have. So where'd you when? But then the Dana Carvey thing. When By was shit, that? I mean quality sitcoms. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. So Dana Carvey happened 1996. So mm. I so, went back. So to I SNL? left Conan, and I had two blissful years with my wife, where all I did, I had like piled up some money, and I yeah. didn't have kids at yeah. this point. So all I did was occasionally submit to SNL and do like the lips of oh, yeah. different characters. Those are so fucking funny. At Conan, yeah, I did all these voices. I always look. I always knew when it was you. Yeah, well, it was you almost certain, always me. You have such a good timing. Was that your bit? Yeah, me and yeah. D, me and Dino. Dino said, "Let's do." I, I my one of my big ideas uh, for the show was so like funny. Conan's going to interview people in the news. I wanted to bring sketch comedy to. A late night talk show, kind yeah. of like Steve Allen's show was. That's yeah. what I picked. And I was like, we'll get people and they'll dress up as celebrities and Conan will interview them. And and then Dino, uh, one day he was just, we were pitching ideas and he said, we should do something with Clutch Cargo. Dino was a Chicago guy and Clutch Cargo was yeah. 
still running in Chicago when I was there in the 80s. So everybody would joke about it. And then I connected that like, oh, that's way better to interview celebrities that way. Because it's like, first of all, it's there's no makeup and wigs. But secondly, you're playing a practical joke on a photograph. Right. And then I ended up just like riffing as Bill Clinton and Dino said, you should just do these voices. They don't have to be like 100% perfect, just be funny. And uh, and so I ended up doing most of them, you know, because I was a decent, I called myself an imprecisionist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, they were good. And then you had a yeah. good build. You know, like a, you yeah. Know. Oh my God. I had, that's the most fun I've ever had. Yeah. Doing that. Was doing that more fun than triumph. Triumphs. There's too much pressure with triumph. Oh really? To land a joke a certain way? Just to, just like, am I going to hurt this person's feelings? There's oh, right. that oh, pressure. Right. Yeah, 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 and yeah. also triumph is, I, I, I don't mean to brag because a lot of people write it with me, but triumph's hysterical. Yeah. It is hysterical. And, and I feel the pressure of keeping it, at that level, right? You know? yeah. And uh, I, I, I'm sorry if that sounds like uh, cocky or something, but, but, it, but it's, Triumph is a very collaborative thing. I have great writers who help me with Triumph, so yeah. I don't, I don't feel like I'm, who are they? Oh my God, I could list. You know, lately, like David Feldman, you know that. Yeah, guy. sure. Yeah, he's not. He didn't help me at Conan, but like since then, Feldman and some of the great Conan writers at that era, like Brian Rich, who created the masturbating bear he would write great jokes for triumph yeah. and they're just many so people it's, it's so funny because it's one of those it's one of those bits where it's like if somebody's just out and driving they're like come up with a one-liner like oh, i should just send that to robert i for the dog it. i yeah. have no i have <laughs> i'll take anything you know originally triumph was like a practical joke on the dog. It was like, this dog's so limited, all he can say is for me to poop on. Yeah. He'll pay a compliment, and then he says, for me to poop on. That's right. his idea that of That was insult. a bit, yeah. Yeah, it was a joke on the dog. And then we realized, oh, Conan's got a lot of cheesy guests. <laughs> and it would be very satisfying for the audience, because Conan's so polite. Yeah. To shit on the guests somehow. Yeah. Like, everybody's been waiting for two acts for something to John Tesh. Yeah, yeah. You know, and then this dog, it's just like... Catharsis. <laughs> Finally, someone points out that you suck. <laughs> but like it, all this stuff, like it seemed like that evolved, and like some of the stuff that you do now yeah. evolved out of these smaller bits that were parts of other things. Triumph was a definite evolution. It, it came out of. So I had this mantra at the show: We're not going to do anything Letterman does. Right. We're going to make stuff up. We're going to yeah. do the show that makes shit up. Right. And we're not going to do any found comedy. There's no stage hands that we're going to break the fourth yeah. wall with. None of that shit. And by shit, I mean genius. Yeah. But I was like, I, I didn't even let Conan do remotes the first year. Yeah. Conan's the funniest person who's ever done remotes at this point. Yeah. And so people, if I say that, you, you, you'd you think, what a fucking horrible producer you must have been. But <laughs> the idea back then was like, we're not going to do anything Letterman does. Right. And by the way, it's Conan- It's hard because everything, he did everything. Well, he did. He no. He did everything related to found humor. Right. You know. Okay. He did not do, like, he did not interview a fake Bill Clinton. Right. He did right. not like do bad fruit theater. Right. 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 You know, there were a lot of bits like that. He and and he did this thing where the Westminster Dogs. Mm. This was a classic Letterman type thing. He had just moved to CBS and he was experimenting and having fun with the new space and being able to run people in from the street. Yeah. Here's Rupert G delivering food. And yeah. So he had the Westminster champions just run down the aisle. (laughs) That's all they did. Yeah. And it was really funny because it was so reductive. And 
and I was like, we're going to have dogs that uh, have actual that are puppets and have actual talent. And, <laughs> and it happened because so my wife and I had gone. We were newlyweds and we were shopping for a new table at one of these quaint like Southern furniture stores. And yeah. they had a rack yeah. of heads of yeah. realistic looking animals. Yeah. Dogs, cats, a rabbit, a, a, a seal. And they were so realistic looking, these dog puppets, that it cracked me up. I'd never seen anything like it. Yeah. The detail. Mostly you think of rubber puppets, you think of like Kermit type things. And yeah. This dog, I just immediately put a dog's on my hand and started sniffing her ass in the store yeah. with the puppet. And she had no problem with that because she's uh, a Married freak. to a, you. Yes, and she's a freak. And <laughs> that's why we got along. So... um so then she surprised me on my birthday with like seven of these things. Yeah. And that's how I got the idea. And Westminster was like a week later. And I, so that's how I got the idea. <laughs> these dogs will have talent. They'll sing the theme from the bodyguard yeah. and, and we'll throw, <laughs> throw roses at them like they do at Westminster. Yeah. And it'll be very staid. And it wasn't, and you know, and then it evolved like one year there was like a magician dog who sewed another dog in half or the... My favorite, a dog would light its own farts. A dog would, <laughs> my favorite dog ever was a dog who impersonated Jack Nicholson. So it was like this plastic dog and yeah. it had the long paw yeah. and he just put the paw over his forehead like, <laughs> like the hack. The, the Jack hack comic, Nicholson. yeah. I'm Jack Nicholson. <laughs> you can't handle the truth. Because I made all the dogs talk with Russian accents. Right. Because when I grew up, I had Russian grandparents, and somehow I associated dogs. I don't know. I have no idea. Were they why. funny? My grandparents, yeah. not particularly. They yeah. just had a funny accent. And that's where and it came from. That's where. That's the why triumph. dogs in my head. Yes, that's where it all came from. Yes, and uh, so it came. The bit itself came out of the desire to do the opposite of what Letterman was doing. Well, what happened with the Dana Carvey show? Because I can never <laughs> get that opening bit out of my mind of the first show. That like it scarred me forever. The Clinton with the yeah. nipples. Yeah, it was insane. It was insane. It was, it was literally like a, a kamikaze mission. Like, well, right, what are but, you guys doing? Yeah, it was like like you guys had taken to a certain level with Conan, but then all of a sudden it's like, what was their edict on that show? Well, listen. <laughs> <laughs> I surrounded myself with my favorite writers, and Dino and Louie by then were like two of the people I loved to write yeah. with the most. Yeah. I made Louie the head writer and Dino was there and Odenkirk helped out early on. And Louie had an idea where that was perfectly, well, it was, it was already silly. It was like Clinton is going to say that he's the, both the father and the mother to Hillary was in a lot of trouble back then with Whitewater and a lot of her, her approval rating was very low at the yeah. time. So he was going to assure the public that he could be both the mother and the father to the country because he had that whole nurturing. <laughs> okay, so that, that, yeah, right. That right, right. whole nurturing, I feel your pain. Right. And then Louis had the idea that Clinton would say, and to take, just to show you my commitment, I have worked with uh, health experts and scientists and I've developed <laughs> the ability to breastfeed. And then he like whipped out like a prosthetic thing that, yeah and we had babies yeah we had like two babies on one on each boob yeah and then i mean that probably would have killed the show already but right. just like louie i don't think we're killing the show enough he wanted more boobs. yeah not can, can i play uh you know yes end sabotage version <laughs> <laughs> what if 
Folks, you know I like animals, right? What if he was breastfeeding kittens and puppies as well? And we gave him eight boobs. Like a kitten and a puppy. And, um, and everybody was like, yes, you're in charge. I guess we're doing it. I love positive and reinforcement. Thank you. So, so, so we did it. And um, I had no idea. Here's what I had no idea. Yeah. Of. We were following Home Improvement. They were so cocky about this show. Yeah. We're going to give you the best slot on the network. Yeah. Yeah, 9.30 after Tim Allen. It was Dana, right? They were like, we got a hit. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody, we thought we were cocky too. And so, sounds good. The bigger the audience, the better. Bring it on. Yeah. It wasn't until like four weeks into the show that I actually watched an episode of Home Improvement. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And my jaw dropped. (laughs) Like, all I knew about the show was that Tim Allen had once been busted Bust for, for coke. Blow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, that yeah. Pamela Anderson was on the show. So yeah. I thought, oh, yeah, yeah, this is a raunchy kind of lead-in yeah. thing. And I was so... Listen, just my advice to young producers mm-hmm. is to be aware of the show you're following on network television. I didn't know we were following a show... I, I didn't realize that the reason Home Improvement was you didn't fo- the number you one show. You were following America? It was because parents could watch it with their kids. Oh. And everybody loved the show. Oh, I didn't Both, realize it. That's, right. It was like American Idol became oh, in okay, the okay. zeros. That's the kind of show it was. I watched it like four weeks in, and I was just, oh my God. This is nothing that I would ever watch that's anything like my show. It's a family right wholesome show right and you're still dealing with a, a late night uh, no and we're starting with fucking bill clinton and eight, eight boobs bread, yeah and i just felt like i had what have i done to my friend dana how could i have not realized this yeah and um there was no coming back from that the Did show you? had like minute by minute ratings that went like like it was like a new record for like you know drop a off cliff dive yeah. like yeah. did 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 it cause a rift between you and Dana? No, oh. I mean, I think it was uh, stressful. Yeah, for a while because it was it, you know it's the same thing with Conan. It's yeah. like you realize that you have to protect your star. His name's on it. He's yeah. the first thing people see. Uh, he's carrying the whole thing and. You may want it, you may have envisioned the show to be this level of crazy, but you've got to scale it back. And that's what happened with both shows. And I, I actually think by the time we finished the Dana Carvey show, it was a perfectly fine, acceptable, smart show. But it was just way too late to sway the people at that network. Let's, let's talk about the new thing because I watched some coming attractions of it and then I had to watch. I was hoping the coming attractions were horrible. They like had somebody else write no them. I don't think they sent me a, a whole thing. Did they, they show you the sketch with Matt and Charlie? Did you get to watch that? Yeah, yeah, that's funny. Okay, I got good. that, yeah. Okay, good. But, but it was so funny because I had to sit through a trailer for The Masked Singer, which I've never watched. And and I don't I don't even understand what's happening. I don't- I don't. Oh, I'm The Masked real, Singer? With anything. With anything. <laughs> like I know you and I were, you know, a couple hours ago on my couch, you know, Choked up because of the Chauvin, you know, yes. that that, that justice was, happened. Yes. Uh, I know that. Yes. But then I watched The Masked Singer. I'm like, what the fuck is happening here? What is <laughs> You're it? just disoriented. You know, Ken, Ken Jeong <laughs> What kind there? of world is, do we live in? Right. Wait a minute. There should be nothing surprising about Ken Jeong being on The Masked Singer. 
<laughs> Ken Jong will take any job. He's a good friend of mine, and we, I've and Triumph a good doctor. Made, Triumph has made relentless fun of him. Yeah, you know, one of a, one of Triumph's jokes was, if you have a Susan B. Anthony coin and the Buffalo nickel and uh, an original uh, wheat Lincoln penny, uh, what do you have? Enough to pay Ken Jong for one day's work. <laughs> <laughs> He'll take anything. He'll say yes. That's funny. So, so the, the yeah. new shows, it's like, uh, it was. It seems like that British show almost. Uh, it's, it, what was that called? Triumph would say, imagine if spitting image didn't suck. <laughs> <laughs> Does Triumph play a big Triumph role in this show? Triumph has nothing to do with this show. He no. doesn't? No, these are all human puppets. They're I, like, I noticed with the puppets, it's like, how many times are you going to use these? They must take a long time to make. I mean, you, you, I made, know. you made a fucking uh, Matt so Lauer practice. Yeah, how many times am I going to use? Well, he's coming back, but I know. I'm not sure the show is practical. These puppets cost a lot of money. And, and like, how many puppet, times are you going to Isn't that done? Uh, we're going to find ways to use Trump. Okay. We're definitely going to find ways to use Trump. But you're right. It's like, you know, it's a, it's a shitload of money. And then like how many times you're going to, so you try to use puppets that will have some of some shelf life as yeah. it were. And, um, who's the puppets you have? What do you got? Oh God. We're just, you know, we, we, how many we made got? a Ted Cruz. He's got a lot of legs. I think. Oh, sure. Ted yeah, Cruz yeah, 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 sure. McConnell. And oh, good. Rachel Maddow. And oh, no, Chris good. Cuomo then, and Andrew Cuomo. Oh, wow. Yeah. And uh, Chrissy mm -hmm. Teigen and OJ. And <laughs> Alpha Cuomo and more Alpha Cuomo. Yes. <laughs> Alpha and Alpha, yeah. Alpha and Alpha, and Alpha Cuomo. Separate sketches for each Cuomo. Uh -huh. And Tucker Carlson. Oh, that was a good one. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. Do, you do the voice? No, I didn't. I mean, I could. That but guy's a fucking I, monster, dude. <laughs> I work for the Fox Network. I, I'm, I'm, I. That's interesting. He's great. No, he's you a great can't. man. You're gonna take no, shots at him. It's I, weird. I, that, like, I think the, I'm excited to be able to. Make Don't fun they of kind Fox of like, News doesn't on Fox. right? But doesn't everybody separate the two people who get opportunities who are you know uh, forward thinking, uh, interesting comedic shows and writers? They have yeah. to be like, well, Fox News is a different, a different hallway. You know, it's like it's well, I, know. I mean, they're network, owned by yeah. the same people. I know, but yeah, yeah, but yeah. somehow or another, you, there's uh, this ability to compartmentalize. Like, yeah, nobody, right. nobody's no, boycotting. Twentieth was owned by. I mean, The Simpsons. All yeah. those shows have made. The Murdochs a, a shitload of money. Yeah, it's weird how you that know works, it was right? finally twentieth was finally sold so is, by uh, Disney. But, is 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 pushback you know even Like possible? I worked for GE. I know. I, know. I worked for GE yeah. when they were dredging the Hudson River. Yeah. Like one of my most famous sketches was something that wasn't that funny, but it was like a schoolhouse rock parody where I got to make fun of GE. Right. It was like conspiracy theory rock. Oh, right. And it was yeah. all about, I made, it was especially, originally it was supposed to be a weird conspiracy theory about Kennedy put to music, but then I was like, fuck it, I'm just going to make it about everything GE is doing right now. And it did, did, did you get pushback? Uh, we got it on the air. We with There were like several hurdles we had to oh, get yeah. through, like make sure the homeless man looks a little nutty. Yeah. And But they let us do it. <laughs> oh, and God. then, so Bob Wright is the head of- yeah. The network. Yeah. Lauren puts it on at like twelve thirty, thinking that Bob Wright goes to sleep after weekend update. Right. And like he gets home late that day and yeah. he turns it on and the show never showed it again. Oh. It was a very rare instance where they took the sketch out of the rerun. It's like, isn't it like the broader question or like, is it because I mean, I've, I've lived in this reality. We all live in this reality. There's yeah. a certain amount of monopolization that goes on in media companies. Yes. But to what end uh, does satire remain effective and not just part of it? Whew. Do you know what I mean? I, I, I mean, 
I, I'm trying to parse. Okay, so you're saying is satire that, really possible, or is it just a, another appendage of the fucking monster that 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 uh, appropriates everything? Aren't you immediately appropriated? I mean, when I larger- did that sketch. I literally called out GE on things well, and that look what happened. nobody talks. Look what happened. Yes, no, I know. I know. Well, it'll be interesting to see like what you can say. Yeah. They're letting on a lot of shit. We're going to make fun of a lot of conservative people. Yeah. They want us to you know, not be completely that way, but it's not that hard to make fun of Nancy Pelosi and Right. Uh, sure, know. sure. So sure. I have no problem. You get, well, you get a, like a, I don't uh, believe in like bean counting and like uh what's that phrase, what aboutism or like Yeah. Like if people are wrong and there are more people wrong on one side, I'm like, fuck. But it's it, also I'm puppets, right? It's puppets, so you know you, you make the shaking lady and the, okay. <laughs> Well I'm gonna try not to uh-huh. make it all about, you know, this guy's senile and this guy's fat and yeah, this guy yeah, looks yeah. like a turtle. I want to get, <laughs> I want to get jokes that actually cut through. It's just an interesting know? question whether or not like everything starts to cancel everything else out and and whether or not anybody is it going to help anybody have a more grounded grasp on reality. Like yeah. I, I don't know how it all doesn't just become part of the same fucking noise. Right. <laughs> Sorry, buddy. No, it's gonna I, be great. No, it's okay. <laughs> I, that's all right. I mean, I don't aspire to change people's minds. And I'm not talking show. about your show, really. I'm, I'm yeah. just saying, like, it's it's sort of an interesting intellectual thing to you know to 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 figure that out. Like, you know, yeah. how do you accommodate the idea that you're on Fox? And like, and when you really did something that pissed GE off, they're like, "That's not happening again." And yeah, like, well, that's we'll... okay. I got more funny things. Uh, I, I was a little upset about it. You were. There were other people who were more upset about it. Adam McKay was really upset about. Well, yeah. It. You know, well, he's, he's gone real, on to make some real, you know. Oh, no. Well, he's a real activist, yeah, you know. Right. And he always put that first. And he actually, like, leaked it to the press. Oh, really? Yeah. And he nobody knew at the time, but McKay deliberately leaked it to the press. And it became sort of a source of embarrassment at the time. For GE? For the network, for Lauren, for everybody. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Huh. And Adam, I don't think he copped to it. I don't remember how how it panned out, but... Ten years later, I called Bob Wright personally, and he let me put it on my Best of TV Funhouse DVD. So, oh, so you know, enough time had passed. Right, I think NBC had been bought by Comcast at that point. Oh. So maybe. Well, not. no, because it looks like you know the Charlie Rose Matt Lauer bit. That's a funny bit, and it, you know, yeah, yeah. It, it definitely has a point. And you yeah. figure where the comedy is, and also their puppets. Puppets are, you know, they yeah. buy you a lot. They puppets. do. I think. Uh, I think. Uh, the layer of silliness that yeah. they provide uh, yes. makes everything lighter and less threatening. Yeah. Certainly does with Triumph, like I said, because yeah. he's low status. But I think it will here, too. Well, this has been fun, buddy. Yes. A lot I of think, fun. I think we I was terrified it. to do it. Uh, uh, were you? I'm always afraid I'm going to hurt someone's feelings, say something stupid. No, that's me. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you, but if you, you, if you, you think of anything, you let us know. I, I've turned to, you know, me and Sandler, I just, I hope he knows that I love him. Uh, let me call him. Yeah, call him up. Did you see him? Mark wants to know if you're good. Yeah. Ooh, he doesn't sound happy. <laughs> Did you hang out with him? I, always. You, oh, you go he's over there like for dinner? He's my favorite human being. Oh, that's practically. good. That's he's, nice. He's my best friend in show business. I, I'd have to say that. That's great. He's the greatest. He's just, he's lo- like the closest thing to a brother. Oh. And I, but the thing is like, there's like 15 people who could say that about him because he's that kind of guy. He makes you feel, you know, oh, yeah. he really Magnanimous. made a difference in my life. Like yeah. he, he made me like myself more at a yeah. time when I was like 
so wrapped up in SNL and I just felt like I all I am is the work I come out with. Right. I'm nothing but my output. Right. And he like kind of connected with me in a way no one else had at that show. And, oh, that's nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it stuck. It stuck. I've he, since then I've been an arrogant cocky prick. Never. No. All right, buddy. I, it was finally. I'm you glad too. we finally did yeah. this. It worked out, and we were both crying at the beginning, and we made it through. Yes. God bless uh, the criminal justice system today. 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 <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Good Take luck care. with the show. Thanks, buddy. So there you go. The new show is called "Let's Be Real." It's a puppet show, life-size puppets. Funny. It's on Fox. That was a fun talk. I enjoyed it a great deal. He's a sweet guy. Okay. I'll talk to you soon. Next time I talk to you, I might be in Florida. Hopefully. That's the plan. If I don't talk to you from Florida, something's gone horribly wrong. And you'll hear about that. I'm not sure I will. Boy, this has gotten grim. Let's play some guitar. Fonda, cat angels everywhere.